Hello, and welcome to Double Exposure, a conversation podcast about comparing and contrasting cinema, old and new, where we view two films through the same lens. My name is Bear Boswell, and I love film. From the latest and greatest blockbusters to hidden art house gems, I am passionate about movies. I am no film major or famous critic, just a guy who loves going to the movies and feeling them for everything they were intended to be. This week on Double Exposure, we're going to be looking at the classic whodunit genre by analyzing the 2019 elegant ensemble Knives Out and the 1938 Hitchcockian classic The Lady Vanishes. But I couldn't begin to viscerally dissect these killer films and get to death grips with the whodunit genre without my guest this week, Matt Watson. All right, mate. How you doing? Oh, man, dude. <laughs> After watching these two crazy-ass movies, yeah. oh, so good. I also love being able to watch two movies in two in like a week. Yeah, it feels good. It's been a while since I've I've sat down and watched more than one film in a week. Oh, it's incredible. Lately, I've just had the time to watch one. So watching two as like a double feature, oh, it felt so good. Oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever. I usually try to watch like three to four movies a week, and especially during um, just the height of like you know lockdown era, yeah, you know, yeah. pandemic. I was watching like like seven a week, like what, like I was watching like three a day. What? And That's 21 a week. Yeah, exactly. I do. I, did I not mention before I love <laughs> movies? <laughs> so this is this is awesome to be able to get into, I don't know, watch two movies of the same genre as well, because I think yeah. what I usually do is I watch films that are completely different from each other, where it's just like, oh, I already watched this, you know, French existentialist, you know, 1940s film. I'm yeah. not going to watch another one. Uh-huh. But in this case, it's like, oh, wow. Two whodunit movies, yeah, both with very, very different pacing, but very similar, you know, characteristics. For sure, it, it totally felt like film club. It, oh it, yeah, it felt like okay, we're get, we're getting into the themes here, and I just couldn't help. By the time I, I watched Lady Vanishes first, okay. And by the time I got to Knives Out, I couldn't help but contrast and think, oh, it does it this way, whereas Lady Vanishes did it this way. And it was, yeah, it was great. Was it your first time seeing both movies? It was, yes. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. It was my second for both. Okay. Yeah. And Lady Vanishes is, to this day, the first and only Hitchcock movie I've ever seen. You know, oh, really? Yeah. That I haven't seen Psycho. So I haven't seen The Birds, which is... It's, you know. the, it's the one that got him into Hollywood, I think. It was his ticket. Like, oh, yeah. Lady Vanishes it was, was like his ticket to America. His, it was the end of his British reign, you know, yep. this like German expressional, you know, very like kind of like war themed heavy movies yep. and like really like British, like uplifting kind of stuff where people you, are like, wow, yeah. that's so British. Oh, no, you can say depressing if you want. I won't be offended. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Depression era. <laughs> people are going to be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> My grandfather's British. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Matt's British. So yeah, yeah. I, that My- just clicked for me. Actually. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh, my gosh. My grandfather's British, too, funnily enough. OK, nice. I've got British relatives. Is that? Oh, really? <laughs> does that help me understand? Is you? It, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So these movies, they're both great. Um, we've got a movie that was made last year that was arguably one of the biggest movies of last year, if not the most popular movie, honestly. Yeah, certainly the uh, the biggest movie that wasn't part of a franchise or, or part of a, of, a, of a series. I remember seeing Knives Out promotion everywhere. Oh, uh, my gosh. Back, yeah. in, back in the pre-lockdown times where we were seeing posters and things. Yeah, I know. And like all these new movie trailers, like number one movie of the year. Take your whole family to see it. You mm-hmm. know, it came out Thanksgiving time last year. So oh, really? So it's here been... in about a month, it would it will be about a year since Knives Out came out. Huh. And it was the family going movie of the year. It was like, take your family, like, like, oh, my gosh, like, you're going to love it. Like, Ryan Johnson, the director, was like, this is meant to be a family film. You know, like, he intended it that way. He edited it down. And, you know, with all these adult actors who, you know, could get pretty mouthy, yeah. he created, like, a pretty well-accessible movie for, you know, like a 12-year-old kid or 11-year-old kid could see it. And the parent would not be have to cover the ears of the kid, you know. So totally. it was really accessible for the entire movie going population. Yeah, I remember about an hour into the film thinking, there's there's not really much cussing. This is quite no. a clean movie. It's, yeah. yeah, it's about murder, but in quite a, like you say, a family-friendly way. Right, yeah. Like the most cussing we see is in the scene with the kid Ransom, uh, the, one of the, the oldest son of uh, Mr. Thromby's two kids. And he, that's 
Chris Evans. And he says, ah. you eat shit, you eat shit, you eat shit. Yeah. But it was originally, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Oh, okay. And they changed it because if you, there's a limit of how many uh, F-bombs you can do I'm in movies. I'm surprised in the land of the free? Exactly, dude. There's a limit to where, with like an R-rated, you know? I know, this is America. We should say whatever we want. The whodunit theme is something that's been around for since the beginning of movies, right? Yeah. Whodunit basically means who did the crime, you know? <laughs> who done it? Who who done did it, you know? <laughs> I love how it's shown too. It's one word. Yeah. W H O D U N N I D. It's just like who done it, you know? It's terrific. It's terrific and it's comedic and it's sly and it's, you know, it's very Sherlock, very um I don't know, just incredibly proper too. You just yeah. have a lot of proper characters. Yeah, you meant you mentioned it being comedic. Uh, something I found with whodunit films—they're all very witty. Oh, incredible! That's the point of it. Just I feel so like the back and forth dialogue, and it sort of disguises who suspects are because if everyone's witty, then everyone's smart and thinking fast. Right, and it, you, you kind of like, oh, but he said this, but he jokes all the time so exactly is he serious and just about everyone has that wit to it like mm-hmm. the way that any whodunit movie is directed is okay we've got all these people and the our, my role as a director is to have you the audience member be in such a pickle where you don't know who did it yep. you know they're all the there's you know 10 characters in this movie or eight characters in this movie like for example and one of them could have done it whatever yep. the crime may be and that it's so it's just, it has this template, and then yeah. it's how each director is able to go with it, you know? So we've got Knives Out. We've got Lady Vanishes. But holy cow, we've got the original movie Clue yeah, know, from course. the 80s. We've got Murder by Death. We've got the two versions of Murder on the Orient Express. That's the one I was thinking of, you yeah. You know, one from whatever year, and then the one oh, the made, old times. Made, made recently, which was an incredible disappointment. <laughs> um, I just such a disappointment. I'm, I'm glad you didn't choose it for one of the one I was, of the films. I was about I was about to compare both Murder on the Orient Express, but I'm like, you know what, the 2017 one was so shit and so just you know, and which makes Knives Out just an incredible yeah. Like, oh, breath of fresh air with totally. done it, you know. Totally. We've got you know Pink Panther, you know, um, and a big thing with the Who Done It is you have this usually male character who's like. I'm gonna solve this. I'm yes. a detective. The Ben, you know, the Benoit Blanc, the Benoit the Blanc Poirot. type. You, are yeah. you familiar with that? I'm familiar with Poirot. Yeah, which is like that, like, and that's the like the Agatha Christie, you know, like detective yep. that's in so many movies. All right, so we'll just dive right into it. Kn- um, knives out. Knives out. Oh, dude. let's get him out. Which is a Radiohead reference too. Is it a Radiohead reference? Yeah, from the Amnesiac song uh, uh, "Knives Out" from 2001. Brian Johnson was like, "I love Radiohead." That was also an inspiration. So, come on, man, I love that. Oh. It's that is excellent. That is a delicious bit of metamodernism, which is a clear part of this entire film for me. So exactly, this that whole just piles thing it on. It's just so self-referential. <laughs> Knives Out was made in 2019. It's a comedy crime drama, critically acclaimed, one of the biggest movies of 2019, um, just raking in so much dough from the box office. How like, much did it make? It made it made $165 million in the U.S. and about $311 million. And that's it's only big. in a budget of forty million. That's big for a genre film. I feel yes. like in in the age of it being having to be like a brand or a franchise. Right. I'd say that's good. And you know, it's coming from uh, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson is responsible for a couple of his own, um, you know, just like creative debut, his own self scripted movies, such as Brick and Looper. I enjoyed both of those. Yeah, those are yeah, those are great movies. I've seen Looper and I've seen parts of Brick, but I. He is um he's up and coming and this movie has sent him into the movie industry as a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't mentioned too he he made the last Jedi <laughs> which I'm so proud of him for doing and just completely shitting on the Star Wars franchise and just freaking the fans out like crazy. Not in a yeah. way that JJ Abrams has, but in a way where it's just like here's the you know like classic indie director gone big billion-dollar yeah. franchise. It's almost like he was trolling a bunch of nerds. Exactly. <laughs> and it was like, he that's the thing, and he brings that into Knives Out. With, like, he brings it into Knives Out, I think, 
with the cast and how he chooses to like give each person because you've got big actors here. Yeah, it's a massive ensemble cast. It is probably one of the most m- impressive ensemble casts I've ever seen. When I first heard about this movie in end of 2017 when it was in post-production and they were just giving out like some of the press photos and you know that Entertainment Weekly was releasing you know from the set photos I was like are you kidding me you got Michael Shannon Jamie Lee Curtis geez I didn't mention the big dogs at the beginning Daniel Craig Chris Evans up and coming with Keith Stanfield, you know, Christopher Plummer with just a legendary collection. Right? That was a huge surprise for me, to be, Unbelievable. to be completely honest. Like, oh my, Jaden Martell, up and coming uh, kid star. He starred in It, both It's. Um, we just have Don Johnson, you know, and Frank Oz, who makes a comeback here. Fun fact Frank Oz, first movie uh, with um, Jamie Lee Curtis in 30 years. They were reunited. I'm oh, not sure really? what movie, but uh, I was reading about that. Oh, so, probably a horror. Oh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> one that has to do with a famous uh, holiday. <laughs> not sure what that one's called. <laughs> but this cat, this cast just is incredible. And it the chemistry is is flowing and it's beautiful. It the the casting specifically. We, we're doing spoiler discussion, right? We can we can say who done it and things like that. It's Oh yeah, we oh, can do that. We can do that. Yeah, let's do it. The, I don't care. Let's do it. It's the, been out for a year. You've had yeah, people have got to have yeah. seen this movie. And do you know the a great thing about this podcast would be like film club, like watch watch the films before listening. That's yes, that's please a cool do. Thing. Right. Um I'm sure we'll shout out at the end what what films will be next. Yep. But I the casting specifically, whoever the casting director was, just excellent choices because the majority of the suspects are people who traditionally play villains. Like obviously Michael Shannon he plays a villain in pretty much everything he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Tony Collette always plays dark characters. Uh, Jam- Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't always play the good guy. But then the the murderer, the the whodunit. Can I say it? I feel like I'm spoiling something. It's oh, crazy. just do it, dude. Chris, you look, Chris you look so excited. Yeah, Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Uh, Ransom. His no, name is Ransom. Ransom. Known for playing the biggest good guy in cinema in the last decade in the form of Captain America. Yeah. So the casting of him against this backdrop of all of these people who are usually playing villains instantly makes you think, well, it's not him. Oh, it's definitely not him. Because he's the good guy. He's a good guy. He was Captain America. Yeah. Beloved Captain America, you know, with us through, like, and Captain America, you know, is such an, like, I love that Marvel movie. I think it's a wonderfully made Marvel movie. While I may not agree with all of it, like, I think it's incredible. So going into it, I know Chris Evans as Captain America and who, you know, he represents for the state, the, you know, the country of America and all this. But it's like people saw Chris Evans and they're like, Captain America's in this movie. I want to go see it. Mm -hmm. And Ryan Johnson just used that to such an evil way, you know, making him the worst. Great marketing. Great marketing. Incredible. to, To do that. But just this uh, this fresh faced guy in this with this backdrop of like especially Michael Shannon in this movie with that yeah. horrible beard he has oh nasty and like the villainous limp which that's that might be a bit ableist now but it's it was still a villainous limp right in, with the in, cane in strong, yeah <laughs> and it was just like oh you are terrifying and it's like so it's obviously one of these monsters and not Captain America mm-hmm. but lo and behold it was Captain America lo and behold the beloved. Oh my gosh. And what I really appreciate about it is he kind of brought us back to like Scott Pilgrim, Chris Evans. Yes. You know, the psycho ex-boyfriend. I forgot he was in that, but that is him. Unbelievable, dude. It was like, it was like I was watching the same character, just evil, you know, conniving. Like there's a scene in Knives Out where- Knives Out? Yeah, in Knives Out, my favorite Radiohead song, (laughs) (laughs) where Ransom is eating these Belgian cookies Mm. and he's just- like, yeah, he's just like, you eat shit and you eat shit and you eat shit. And the way he eats it and just crunches on it. Oh, whoever did the sound design, I could kiss you. That was so <laughs> good. Like, it was insane how good that was. Like, you hear the crunch and the way his mouth moves and the eyebrows. Like, yep. this guy is up to no good. And you kind of know it from the beginning. Like, yeah, but like that's... He, right? Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, you go for that, it. That, that's what softened me to him because I thought he was... He missed the funeral. He missed mm-hmm. all... He's the terrible family member, but he's also the self-aware family member who knows that he's, like, sucking the family's money. 
whereas everyone else tries to has their own narrative as to why they're not doing that and why they're self-made. And so I thought him coming in was like, oh, well, it's definitely not him because he's the only one who's self-aware. Exactly. I love that he's self-aware and he wears and he he's aware, you know, he pulls up in the BMW yeah. and he comes late to all these things. And the first time, you know, he doesn't show up to uh, the funeral, you know, and we'll get into the plot in just a moment. Um, but basically, yeah, the cast is just unbelievable and just dripping with, you know, rewatchability. Like you yes. could go back and watch this movie. And I watch this movie with subtitles. I've been really big on subtitles okay. lately. Okay. And I have picked up on so many great lines because there's so much talking over and bickering because it's just a shit show mm. of a family. It's such a yeah. mess. It's so dysfunctional. And they have so many different things they're saying. And there's just an incredible array of lines being said that I missed my first viewing. Okay. Are there any that stand out? Oh Just... my gosh. Yes. I would have to... Because I, I probably, I didn't watch with subtitles, so I probably missed some things. But yeah, there was a lot of bickering. Oh my gosh. There's so much bickering. There's an incredible line um, from, I believe the... Oh, there's a great... Oh, there's such a great line. What is it? From Michael Shannon. Um, when Ransom is going, eat shit eat shit, eat shit. They're all just like, oh, F you, whatever, you know? And then Michael Shannon's character goes, I'm not eating one iota of shit. <laughs> like, that is the best line. I, My girlfriend and I were just, we had to pause the movie and we were like, that was incredible. We missed that the first time we saw it a year ago. I missed that. It was sure. so good. And yeah, there's various other lines. So I really appreciate um, just being able to rewatch it and, you know, just being rewatching the home. The first time I saw it was in a theater packed with people, you know, mm. that were just whooping and hollering at the end. It was awesome. It was a great movie experience that I definitely miss. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So knives out, uh, a detective investigates the death of a patriarch of an eccentric combative family. So when renowned crime novelist Harlan Thromby, who is played by Christopher Plummer, uh, he's found dead at his estate just after he's turned 85. So we have this inquisitive and very sly Southern Kentucky detective, Benoit Blanc, who is the incredible Daniel Craig, James Bond. Mm. Um, he's enlisted mysteriously, as we find out throughout the movie. He yes. is just given you know, a sum of money. Uh -huh. And he's to investigate, enlisted to investigate. So from Harlan's dysfunctional family to his devoted staff, uh, he sifts through, Blanc that is, a web of red herrings and self-serving lies to uncover the truth behind Harlan's untimely death. So we just watch as this movie goes through each character, basically giving us this yeah. background of what they've done. And Benoit Blanc just hairs through them. He, he really does. The first sort of 15 minutes of the movie is just those one-on-one -on -one conversations. What do you think about them. that? I really liked it. I mean, I it's a classic whodunit thing, mm -hmm. but the, the interesting aspect for me is you had the... Because usually you either have the enigmatic detective, like a Benoit Blanc, a Poirot, a Sherlock yeah. Holmes type, right? or you have the straight man, funny man cop team, where it's like a super serious cop and a wisecracking cop. Right. But this movie did all three of them. In It put all three of them in the same room. So even though it was like a very stereotypical uh, interviewing the suspect sequence, it went above and beyond by throwing all three of those character types into one scene. And it made for very unique interactions. Oh, unbelievable. And when you're referring to the three, you mean like the three detectives or his personality? Ooh, because Ooh. I felt like he was like three different things because he was just so hilarious at points. Like he, his walls at some point were just all the way down. You know, he yeah. was just like, why did somebody assign me for this? Also, uh -huh. I, I could not stop doing his accent. Like, oh, it is smooth like yeah, butter. Yeah, smooth like butter. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel bad for my girlfriend having to put up with me because I was just like, Dear, can you please get me another beer? You know, like I was just walking around the house like, oh, man, I do love this movie. <laughs> like, it's, it's so addictive. It's, it's so infectious. good. And yeah. the best part about it is everyone in the movie is just like, what the hell is your accent? Yeah. Like they're just referring like you. Oh, when they call them Kentucky Fried Chicken, I lost it. That yeah. was so just 
terrible. Like, so cheap, mm-hmm. but so good. Because, you know, the characters in the movie are tasteless. But yes. like ta- it's like a tasteless tastefulness. I don't know. It's, you know, Harlan Thronby being a, a murder mystery writer and then his home, his setting, Benoit Blanc coming in, yeah. all of that stuff. It's why I mention it as a really meta modern piece, because it it's all straight out of a novel, but it, all the rest of the characters are not quite so much exactly they're very regular you know Uh there's the classic characters in this thing you know we've got a couple like clueless detectives you know that are just kind of there but then the seasoned one you know the old you know beloved very wealthy old guy that dies you know but then you've just got you know the neo-nazi right-wing grandson you know the pot obsessed naive granddaughter and then all these you know like money laundering and snaky and little bit racist people. Couple having an affair. I know exactly. Like all, all the standard stuff. You're just pushed right into it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is another thing I love about Who Done It. It's like we don't need a lot of this background. No. We, we really don't need it. And it's provided very appropriately in this movie. But the thing with Who Done It is you're just kind of thrust into these lives. They're going about, mm-hmm. and there's a situation, and it's like all of a sudden the cameras are on for their situation. You know, it's almost like, oh, this is a documentary, and we're here for this part. But they've yeah. experienced, you know, decades of family chemistry, so we're just jumping in and noticing their chemistry. Yeah. Um, and how he was able to do that, it just so flawlessly and not tacky, great. Yeah, and and within the a two-hour film as well, like – I thought when I saw the runtime, I was like, uh, if this is going to be the classic American thing where it could be 15 minutes shorter right. and it could be a tighter script, but it wasn't. It he was, utilizes it was every it, There's inch. not a wasted second. Not a wasted second. It's I terrific. Was, it's incredible. I mean, and I think, I think in general, like whodunit movies just tend to waste a lot of time. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people going into this, you know, the trailers are fine. Yeah. The cast is cool, but who knows? And then it came out and then some of the press release stuff like interviews came out and it just started unraveling and it has aged better, like given a year, honestly, like seeing it, it is still one of the top movies on IMDb at 27. And it's been released for oh, wow. like a year now, you know, like it's in the top 30 yeah, popular movies. I, I don't really check IMDb, but that's like a, there's a recency bias thing that happens there, but a year removed and it's still up there. That's, exactly. That's pretty good. And on a popular website that I will talk about greatly on this, probably more than IMDb, it's called Letterboxd. It's like a film logging app. It's, yeah, it's in the top 10. Like people love it. And, and it on IMDb or on Letterboxd, it shows you how many people view, have viewed the movie and talked about it. And there's like almost 600,000 people wow. that have talked about it. More, okay. you know, it's insane, dude. Like this movie was just a smash hit. Oh, and how can people find you on Letterboxd, Bear? Oh, you know, just it's just a username, uh, Bear Boz. Oh, lovely. B-E-H-R-B-O-Z. Wonderful. Bear, Bear Boswell. I go on there and I review every movie that I watch. I, I'm consist- I've been consistent for about two years. Great nice. app. Great app. Nice. Something that I found interesting about Knives Out was the structure of it. It felt far more like a play than a film oh, in yeah. a lot of places. Maybe it's because I just watch it, watched it after The Lady Vanishes, which is your classic three-act structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the murder happens instantly. And we're straight in with the interviews with the detective. And I think it was around about like the 57, 58 minute part. It was like the end of a day. You get like, it's the shot of the blood on the shoe, like coming home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of, we basically had our entire setup of first act. Here's the setup. Here's and there's still an hour left in the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then it was from that point onwards, it was all about the unraveling, like starting to pick at the thread right. and to bring it down. And I think it did have a traditional third act in the sense that there was Benoit Blanc's monologue and explanation of it all. Mm-hmm. But that's much more indicative of like a classic late 19th, early 20th century play than it is a film. A film. So I thought that was very interesting. That's a great point. And that kind of brings me to this word that I thought about, which was subversion for what Ryan Johnson just does in cinema. You know, he comes in and, you know, oh, it's another crime mystery movie. Like Uh people are seeing this on on their TVs as like an advertisement and, you know, in between their shitty soap operas they're watching and they're like, whatever. But 
he's coming in and he's changing the genre and he is putting his own twist and he's basically ref- bringing a self-referential movie yep. that is to completely change it and give people something you know exciting like it is not typical to find out what really happens in the first 20 minutes of a of a yes. who done it crime movie yes. you know cuz we find out that you know the wrong medication was given and so Harlan Thrombey assumes and jumps to conclusions on his death and by the end of the movie is deemed a suicide yeah like which is awesome that they stick with that that yeah. is so great like when i first saw it i was like it's not going to be a suicide it's not going to be a suicide and then they're like you know Benoit Blanc it was a suicide <laughs> you know like it was and it still and that's the thing is say that was to happen and the lady vanishes you mm-hmm. know like that it was revealed at the beginning and then it changed at the end it would probably it would ruin change. the movie yeah it would ruin it but yeah. with this and the pacing it made sense it was far less about the destination than it was the journey not to speak in cliches but it it really was oh we, it truly was we had the the revelation at the start as you say and to stick to that and it, again i'm going to say the word again but it's meta modern in the sense that it was still a sincere detective story it wasn't cynically postmodern it wasn't this thing of like oh we're going to it's going to turn out it was all a book that he's written and stuff there was still a sincere answer that everything made sense it was logical Ryan Johnson was being self-referential. He was he referenced like Sherlock. I think there's a Netflix murder documentary being watched at the start. There's like there's tons of references to crime fiction. Unbelievable, yeah. With the, with the whole setting. So as a as a viewer in 2020, I expect it to be this really meta solution. But it wasn't. It was sincere. It was honest. It was pure. It, yes. it, it still stuck to what it set up at the start. Exactly. Like we have, oh my gosh, that's such a good point. Like so many things can be meta, you know, like you see a crappy comedy movie and mm-hmm. they mention like a funny, like a viral thing or like a song or something, or like you yeah. sound like the rapper Drake. And it's like this, just this total, like, just there's, there's no heart in it. There's no heart in it. There's no true, you know, but this it's referencing, you know, real things, real things that are good too, you know, mm-hmm. like they just slightly like, it's his name is not mentioned, but Donald Trump is like kind of mentioned. Like, yes. like they're oh my gosh, in the incredible scene where they're having like the of like the stereotypical political Thanksgiving conversation. Yep, so good, dude. You know? I I could talk about that scene forever. It was one of my favorite scenes in the whole in the whole thing. What was your favorite part? Not even to get too political about it, but I just right. love that it exposed the hip, the entire narrative. And the the motive of the family exposed the hypocrisy of uh, like Trumpian Republican worldviews of right. like at the conversation at the dinner conversation they're like if you work hard in this country you get what you earn you get what you deserve yeah you get what you deserve yeah but that's what they said it's not what they mean nope because they're she, all snakes the nurse our protagonist right. she worked hard she got what she earned. And they don't stick to what they said. Exactly. Because in the end, this girl receives on the will, her name is Marta. She, on uh, Harlan Thrombey's will, he says all of his, um, basically everything. Yeah. The, the um, publishing plant for his novels. And again, he's like a, like, mil- tens of millions of copies. He's the most important mi- mystery crime fiction writer in of the, all time. In, in the world. In that's the, world. the sense we get, yeah. And the house is worth, you know, $60 million, and no one else in the family gets it, right? Mm-hmm. And before, I love that we're dealing with, like, her ethnicity and her coming to, like, yes. America. It's incredible. Her country of origin, quote-unquote, yeah. is mentioned it, four different countries. Uh, the, uh, I love the extra one as well, because they did the rule <laughs> of three of mentioning it three yeah. times. And then they do the fourth time just right at the end. And you're like, oh, they yeah. got you. Oh, <laughs> you my hit gosh. me again. Ryan like- Johnson, <laughs> son of a bitch. He does it every time. Like, he is just so rich, so rich. It's it's taking a genre, and again, he's subverting it. He's changing it. Yeah. You know? But, I, yeah. crucially, it's still familiar. It's still, right. it's still sincere. Exactly. He, it's nothing groundbreaking. You know, n- no, it, other than other than the subversion itself, mm-hmm. but it's like he's riding a thread between something genuine and something cynical, right? And it's terrific. I love it. There's a great scene that I'll talk about real quick where there it's during the Thanksgiving 
kind of qualm, you know, political discussion. And Marta comes by and they're just like, come over here, Marta. Let us know what you think about this. They're Mm -hmm. talking about immigration rules Mm -hmm. and stuff. And she's just standing there. And um, uh, Don Johnson's character, Richard Drysdale, who's married to um, Linda Drysdale, who is the daughter of Harlan Thromby, um, he's just, you know, talking, talking, and he'll just play it out for Marta and, like, expects her to take it. Yeah. Rich. Oh, it, that couldn't be better. It just, you know, it it just the icing on the cake for how much you can, how much a person can speak and not know what they're even talking about. Yes. You know what I mean? Spot on. Like, Down to having the grandchild who is a tiny Ben Shapiro. Exactly. Like. Oh, my gosh. He was a Ben Shapiro. <laughs> oh, man. That gives me kidney pain. <laughs> yeah, so I cannot praise this movie enough. While it is an incredible demonstration of just modern crime drama, comedy, thriller mixed with these just wonderful, you know, 1920s, 30s antics, like bringing back that old era into this digital, modern, social media, everything, you know, just where we are in the 21st century is just so overcrowded by I think just technology and everything and you know just the pressures of media this movie does a really great job of not bringing the most like absolutely groundbreaking movie of all time but a fresh take on a beloved genre and I loved it I love what it does for cinema it's a great movie Ryan Johnson I applaud you and I'm going to give it a solid 4 out of 5 all right welcome back i hope you got some food got a drink maybe even added knives out to your netflix queue or bought it on a blu-ray or something hopefully we convinced you hopefully you've seen it too like like we yeah. mentioned before, I I kind of spoiled who done it. Yeah, so. we done. Yeah, we done did it. We, <laughs> is what we did. <laughs> the lady vanishes. Nineteen thirty eight. So we're going back. What eighty years? Oh my gosh, are you serious? Yeah, eighty years. Uh, Holy I'm gonna shit. I'm gonna shock you now. Tiny bit more than eighty years. Like eighty one. Yeah. Oh like my. Eighty eighty two years or something. Crazy. Wow. So we're going we're going back. 82 years. I can't even believe I just said that. Wow, that really got me. Alfred Hitchcock, though, absolutely beloved. Cinematic icon. Yeah, the icon, you know, the big, big boy. He's a big boy with the nose, you know, and the the classic silhouette of (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, Yeah, that profile. The Lady Vantages is also a whodunit film about um, people on a train and a lady... A lady does vanish. A lady vanishes. I will will tell you. It's like that. Have you heard of that movie called um, like The Man Escaped or something? It's a great. I've heard it's a great film. I'd love to watch it. And it's like it's spoiled in the title. The man does escape prison. Oh, he does escape. Yeah. So is that that with the working title of the Shawshank Redemption was just The Man Escaped? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Unless there's like some kind of spoiler in the Shawshank. Like (laughs) the Shawshank will be (laughs) redeemed. Don't don't worry. The Shawshank will be redeemed. Yeah, it will be redeemed. We promise. So (laughs) the lady does in fact vanish. It's a mystery thriller released on the 1st of November in 1938. So um, Alfred Hitchcock, we've got Margaret Lockwood, who is a big-time Hitchcock favorite, Michael Redgrave, who really took off, actually, mm. because of this role. Um, okay. Yeah, he. this was like his big role, and he was incredible. He yeah. played Gilbert. They were both so charismatic as leads. I, I love them. Yes. Now, this movie was so different from Knives Out is what we're seeing. So I think, like, I think this is just going to kind of feel different talking about it because th- everyone here is dead. All of these actors and actresses, that's something, that's a weird yeah. thought. They're we, just dead. We can't really discuss this from like a marketing perspective. No, because we don't know. the history. Yeah. Every single person that was involved with this movie is probably dead. Yeah, I'd be shocked if, if yeah. they weren't. Maybe there was like a baby in a carriage or yeah, something. I, I, I would hope that they'd be dead. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Just, just that for the record, Bear hopes that baby is dead. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm just saying, old age can be a bitch. I don't want to be 105. No way. That would suck. <laughs> to put on the record, I don't wish death upon babies. Of course, of course. Um, <laughs> just old people who used to be babies. Exactly, yeah. They can die. All right. It's, um, 
yeah, so basically we've got this whodunit train movie. Yeah. You know, incredible set. Just the, oh, the set is so cool, dude. They got this like big train, basically train yeah. set and just had all these different cars and the lighting and how it feels like you're on the train. I, yeah. At, there was a couple scenes, you know, where it's like, oh, he's, he's like there. You know, they're trying to get from one train to the other or one sure. train car to the other. And they're, you know, getting out the window and there's a train passing and it's clearly not real. But there were times where it's like, wow, this is really, really good for yeah. 1938. For, for 1938, it was crazy good. Considering like some films from the 60s and 70s are bad. Yeah. Don't even have that level of green screen effects. That was a huge them. thought, I thought. like Yeah. Like, you know, like we've got like 70s movies, like Taxi Driver, Godfather that could fit in with stuff today, uh-huh. you know, and then this is like one of those movies that could fit in with some of the production of the great movies of the 70s. Yes, for sure. Which way really, ahead yeah, of its time really shows how serious Hitchcock was and how like obsessive he was in his yeah. filmmaking and very intentional, um, which is really cool because this was like the end of his British film reign Mm -hmm. you know he was beloved in britain with his uh expressionalist films a lot of just like kind of war era um british films and this really propelled him into the american cinema scene yeah i i imagine it was going with like a a a three-act structure having having a thrilling sort of uh setting really good action sequences for its time good oh Uh, you mentioned like the climbing out of the train and stuff so sick yeah okay 2020 our eyes go that's not actually there oh yeah but to a 1938 audience that would look crazy that's hollywood right like holy shit he's oh my gosh Uh this is crazy yeah. So it just it it's his ticket to America. It's right. okay, you can make an excellent 90-minute thrilling film. Exactly. I think yeah, I think and he did. He really yeah, quick movie, 96 minutes. I think he uses every just very similarly to um Knives Out. Like he sets up the scene well. He uses every you know, every minute, every inch of the space, amazing use of space. Yes. And the set was so cool. Like to go back to that, even when the, in the beginning, the hotel, that's the hotel. Yeah. The, the hotel set was beautiful. Amazing. And it even did a similar thing to Knives Out in that we sort of get this sense for the, the suspects, the cast of characters, right. Albeit not through the guise of a, of a investigator asking questions, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still that sort of, oh, we're getting a glimpse into this person's life and now into this person's life. Right. The, the, the British duo obsessed with cricket with the, the comedy, the, oh my the lighthearted comedic relief. They gave me, um, oh, what are those two? There's two characters that the two I, characters in all of cinema. That's you have to narrow it down, yeah. my friend. <laughs> There's just two characters that I <laughs> that I know of, Laurel and Hardy. Yes, and yes. that is what I got from them with their chemistry. Um, oh, that was great. They were hilarious, you know, and yeah. just like uh, you know, you don't really know anything about them, and they're not a huge role at first. You think they're going to be a massive role, yes, you know, with how they were in there, and you think they're going to get wrapped up in this. Maybe they're secretly detectives, but they're just two crotchety dudes that just really were missing out on that cricket. Yeah, game, they love which cricket. Which is unfortunate that they missed out on the game. The the scene uh, in the in the in the carriage where he's setting out the cricket match with the sugar, right? And and is asked to pass the sugar, and the look on his face, he's like, oh my. Gosh, that, the, the sensibilities in the acting there were like 50, 60 years ahead. It was it was like a, a witty 70s, 80s dialogue comedy. It was incredible. It was it was like you just saw this, you know, 56 year old man just whittled down to a little baby boy. Just, just yeah. got his toy taken away. Yep. Awesome. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Genuinely laughed out loud so many times during this film and for a film that's 82 years old to hold up comedically because comedy changes with time it evolves it grows but so many of the jokes still landed perfectly absolutely like just wonderful jokes about you know like i'll be hanged if that's true like yes funny just funny funny stuff some british humor i'm sure you kind of picked up on possibly there's there's a little bit i i can feel it in my blood when it's happening exactly yeah Yeah, i could feel it for you you know (laughs) like i said earlier my grandfather was british (laughs) yeah so basically this movie takes place uh this young rich girl uh who is 
again, very wealthy, has seen it all, as she says in the movie. I've been to Cannes. I've had lunch with this person. I've yes. done this, you know. At the age get, of 22. At the age of 22, I guess I'll get married. <laughs> that was awesome. Yes. She's here, and she is away from her husband, right? She's about to get married. So, Oh, her fiancé, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, her fiancé, sorry. Um, and so she is scheduled to go and travel, I think, back to her husband, basically, to where, wherever her native um, place of being is. And there's an avalanche on a train, unfortunately. Yes, and yes. just pandemonium breaks out in this hotel of this hilarious scene where there's just this, not really sure of the ethnicity of this guy. No, He's speaking I'm, like three different languages. I'm going to say general European. Yeah, just European. <laughs> European as hell. Like, this guy is just over the top and great customer service I will add yeah like to the point of like maybe not like appropriate customer service where he's just like willing to move people's rooms for one person yeah the opposite of American customer service right exactly which is like you better get the hell off our plane right now you know so yeah we find ourselves being involved with these characters who don't know each other. None of them know each other, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Different from Knives Out. They all have a developing chemistry that we don't see on camera that obviously like 30 years, like all these people have lived together and grew up together. Yep. But here we have strangers on a train. Yeah. And and other than Murder on the Orient Express being one of the more famous murder mystery whodunit stories. Right. Much less of a traditional setting than Knives Out. Knives Out has the mansion. It's got the rich family. Right. It's got the author. It's got everything. Whereas this is a bit more of a different story in terms of how we're approaching it. There are there are gaslighting themes. There yes. are there's there's lots of like oh as an audience you think was there is there actually a murderer is that what's going on here yeah what is what is the point of this too and it, it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat and it's silly too it's like mm. one day like this lady that was helping this young girl uh onto the train and conversing with her this girl before she gets on the train like that was so weird she like just a like a potted plant lands on her head from just a mysterious hand that just pushes yes. it out yes. it's like wow that was crazy and this lady helps her through it well, this girl falls asleep after having these interact like several interactions with this lady, Miss Froy. She wakes up, Miss Froy is gone. And everyone is convincing her that, you know, she's going through hallucinations, her head trauma is involved, she has a concussion, yeah. and she's like, No, this lady is on. She has not vanished. Indeed. Yeah. This she, lady has not vanished. She has not vanished. She's totally here. I felt the paranoia. I, yeah, I was, was weird. really I, as far as like this film making you latch onto the protagonist, I was there. I was feeling her paranoia. I was almost yelling at the other passengers being like, no, you stupid British person. She was there. She's literally there. Come on, dude. Like, are you kidding me? Like, give her a break. This poor girl. She's to be married. She's done everything. She's been to Cannes, you know, like she's done all this stuff. That that was one of the things I thought when I started to buy into the paranoia when she did, when she was like, oh, maybe I did hallucinate. My first thought was, Maybe she's a Miss Freud was like a manifestation of her own edge anxiety because she's about to be married. Mm-hmm. And so she's thinking, I'm going to end up and be a Miss Freud. So I've invented this character that's still full of youth oh and still gosh. full of life and exciting and adventurous like Miss Freud is. I thought it was her own edge anxiety projecting of a, a person to show that life's going to be okay. Right. And that's how good the writing was because I got absorbed into that and started thinking like her and I bought into the gaslighting. That's what I thought too. This was my second time seeing the movie, mm-hmm. so I was already familiar with it. But what if Hitchcock went with that? It would have been yeah. so groundbreaking. It really would have like been. Like this existential, like kind of neo-noir, very David Lynch, mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive kind of feel to it. You know, where it's just like not what you think it is. You know, yes. where what we see in movies a lot today where there's so many movies today where it's like it's not what you think it is. So many psychological dramas yeah. that we have currently. And what if he did that? Now, he didn't, obviously. Yeah. He was groundbreaking in so many other ways, just, yeah. just not Just not this. this. <laughs> Thanks, Hitchcock, for nothing. <laughs> yeah, come yeah, on, Hitchcock. Whatever, dude. Psycho, <laughs> not that good. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think, I, yeah, I think it, that was really cool where, yeah, you felt the paranoia of mm-hmm. the young girl. And, oh, that like the film tricks when they were replicating her mind and and it was like the duel 
camera, you know? Yes. It was like the trippy camera. Yes. And oh, that's like just the classic four different. Oh, it was, it was awesome. I love that. Yeah. It, because, again, that's the sort of thing that we look at now and go, eh, a bit, bit hawky. Right. But at the time, cinema goers, I mean, it had only been like 30 years prior that people were shocked that images could move. Yeah. So, so to start playing with camera trickery. Exactly. And, and start bending the rules of cinematography. Yes. Terrific. Oh, awesome. I love that he did that. Love the shadows. Yeah. Classic Hitchcock. And again, this was my first Hitchcock, which <laughs> and has been my only one. My brother got me this great box set, Alfred Hitchcock, um, just like 20 of his movies. Yeah. And I want to rip through them like crazy. And I after the, after seeing this for a second time and it being the only Hitchcock I've seen, I need to go in and see some of his stuff. You know, I would love to. I've, I've got to agree. I've got to agree with, with what you've already decided. Um, you should do that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll just force myself to by picking one of his movies for an episode. Yeah, pick it at random. So even though this didn't really have the traditional murder mystery thing in terms of the detective coming in, the the central pairing were very much trying to figure out the the mystery. Uh, and they were the only people who believed that Miss Freud even existed. Right. But one of the characters in the in the in the cabin that she's in is a magician, is like a touring magician. Awesome. And, and my 2020 brain instantly was like, well, this film's called The Lady Vanishes and he makes things vanish for a living. So he's like either the the guy who's done it or he's like the biggest red herring in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is what it turned out to be. Exactly. But it was still very, it was so well done. That was like a very classic whodunit thing because the red herring aspect is something that's very classic of, of who the whodunit genre. Mm-hmm. And I think he, the magician is just the quintessential example. The only way he could have been more of a red herring is if he was an actual fish. Like that's, that's how much of a red herring he was. Exactly. Like it was just blatantly obvious, you know, like just this unbelievable, like, of course there's a magician here, you know, like picked on purpose, like fit to script, of course. But his, his role like was incredible. And when they were kind of learning him and you're learning all these characters, you know, like at first it's just strangers on a train, but then, you Mm -hmm. know, we get into their past and stuff and what they do and like seeing like his posters Yes. Um, That was really cool. I love seeing that. I love it when uh, directors like create props specifically for characters in the movie. Like that character's Mm -hmm. role has like a prop, like a poster or something like this fictional kind of this thing was specifically made directly for this character. That to me shows the most insight and actual like time well spent into the character you know what yeah, i mean yeah it totally it, it fleshes out a character's world without having to say something you can just show something absolutely yeah instead of just putting like a general object like like just keeping the hat and the bunnies and stuff yeah yeah you know they had like like his mystery boxes and like a couple of his like little um you know like the revolving booth and stuff where mm-hmm. he can do that like with his face on it and stuff in a big cut- cardboard cutout like with the actor's face yeah yeah so like it, they went with it and then instead of making it like this shows that Hitchcock was way ahead of his time in that you know mm-hmm. like he really like like this was a really and which i think it's cool to see that cuz then it's one of the things that really made him hollywood effective you know like they saw this from his their perspective and they're like you're just making movies in britain yeah. Come to America, yeah. dude. You can make yeah. some real money. Yeah, dude. This place sucks. You need to come to America. <laughs> Vision and scope, right? Exactly. Those, those are the things that are quintessentially like classical Hollywood. And Absolutely. They, they saw that in right. him. They saw it in him early on. 38. That still blows my mind. 1938. Almost the, the precursor that now sets the rules of Hollywood looking for young directors. You can mm-hmm. look into Ryan Johnson of like when he his first film is something like Brick and it's like, okay, you've got potential, but we're not ready for you yet. And then Looper gets much more, has much more commercial success. Right, it's his vision, uh-huh. you know, it's his original. And then it's he's linked to Star Wars and now he's got a big genre movie. And right. it's, it's just that same path that Hitchcock walked and now Ryan Johnson can do those similar things. And not just him, it's other visionary directors as well. Yeah, But it's almost like Hitchcock set the rule exactly in place absolutely like hitchcock and it's interesting too because he never took like a big i don't know like 
like The Godfather, you know, with Francis Ford Coppola. Like, mm-hmm. that's arguably the biggest movie of the 70s. Sure. But Psycho is huge, too. But, you know, we never really, like, think of him as the keeper of this one big film. You know what I mean? Like, there's a it's, lot. He just has multiple great films. It's he, his body of work. He has at it? least a dozen absolutely masterpiece films, uh-huh. you know, amidst his... Jeez, he was making he was making movies movies in like the late twenties. Like he, yeah, he, he was started in the silence. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. Create like some of his silent films I've heard are pretty pretty great, which is really cool. So so the ending to this wasn't really a traditional whodunit. It wasn't like a no. Benoit Blanc saying no and way. It was this. There was not a specific unraveling. yeah, not a specific person. No, at all. It was would, yeah. There was like the doctor guy and like his assistant and right. stuff who were doing the actual thing, but it was because. And here's, a, here's the major spoiler of Big this spoiler. one. Uh, Miss Froy is an international spy trying to recover information on Germitaly or whatever <laughs> country this is. Um, oh, yeah. this fo- Oh, that was so good. This is just like <laughs> fake language, yes. fake ethnicity, fake cities. Yes. So good. Just to, because real life, 1938, just right. before the Second World War, you don't want to stoke tensions with your cultural output, but you can't ignore the realities of what's happening. Kind of like Ryan Johnson mentioning Trump era politics in his film. Exactly, but he, not directly. But not directly. The president. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you've got to dance around it. And they they do it by talking about a fictional kind of European block that is very much trying to do evil things and and spy and 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 sabotage uh, democracy and and things like that trying to ruin the the british way of life as 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 the british people talk about like when they when they're in the car at the end and they and they're just like uh, well this can't possibly happen to us we're british like it it's that kind of pre second world war naivety that like nothing bad can happen exactly and they were just doing everything in their power to like not really like they're they felt invincible you know yeah. like we're british we're on top of it we're the greatest you know and i think it's so interesting in this movie that there's like this like you just don't even expect it to get somewhat you know geographically political yeah in a way where it's like it, this is totally a shot at germany yeah like wow those uh soldiers at the end yeah, those look like German soldiers they, for sure. They really did. Yeah. The especially like stopping a train as well, like the the implications there and just the fact that it became it became a war film for like the last sort of 5 or 10 it minutes. It really did. Yeah, which was very like I think like very British too. Mm. And he pretty much separated from that after that. He got into more of the psychological thriller esque, you know, yeah. kind of Orson Welles kind of territory of this is just strictly like not just like a really good thriller story, yes, you know, yes. he, he really left that behind, like behind once he left kind of the British sector of things and ended up, you know, making movies for America. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, yeah, that was really interesting towards the end and the whole thing with firearms. Yeah. It got to the point where, you know, Miss Froy, she's, she's a spy yep. and they're trying, they, they swap her out cause they, they took Miss Froy and mistake and like convinced everyone that, she was like a hospital patient that they picked up, but they were like wrapped her in this bandage and then they swapped her out, got her back, hit her in a bathroom, and then a gunfight came about. Yep. Like it got crazy. So much happened in that third act. With with some real stormtrooper shooting going on from oh. the from the actual stormtroopers. Uh, where like they miss most of their shots, <laughs> apart from the, that killed me. Yeah, apart from the guy who comes out and surrenders, who gets shot. Dude, some of those well. hip shots made it though. Like yeah. you just see a guy from at least a hundred yards away. The ones, and then, oh, they just die from a hundred yard hip shot. Yeah, when the and when the train's pulling away at the end, and they, but then like after missing all of these shots, they hit the drivers of the train perfectly from like two hundred yards. How on it's earth? Like, what is going on? This is, this is crazy. <laughs> this is awesome, too. It yeah. was, the action was sweet. The realistic, like, fight scenes where mm-hmm. it's just, like, you know, with very overblown cinematic fight scenes today, you hear the boom, bop, yeah, of you know, like, all the noises and all that. And this is pretty quiet. And that's usually how a fight goes. That's you don't hear these giant smacks or swooshes of the fist cutting through the air, you know? Yep. That's put in a studio with you know people punching it's, certain objects that make that noise it's or foley art it's 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 grabbing a big leg of lamb and just 
punching and it just repeatedly. Punching it. Exactly. It was none of that. It was much more classic. I loved it. I loved the action in it. It was it was a little corny for sure, you know, like with yeah. kind of like the action film esque type part at the end, particularly and stuff. the acting of like getting shot and doing the big over dramatic like clutching, oh, and yeah. then just and then suddenly being motionless, right? And there's like no effects. To, like, how do we know? Like, it just doesn't look like they got shot. It looks yeah. like they just have chest pains. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just like old, you know. Like, yeah, someone get this guy an inhaler because yeah. that's what he needs. He's, uh, he did not just get shot, actually. <laughs> like. I lo- yeah, I think it's super interesting just what he decides to do culturally for the film. Like, yeah, the whole three-act thing and then, then the third act, let's just let's just make it like a war-esque, just like all-out yeah. fight scene where they're just shooting so many bullets. It's it plays so many bullets, so yeah. many bullets. But it, it plays with genre so much, this idea that we're we're very much watching a whodunit film and and buying into paranoia and anxiety. And then we get the lead pair, are our detectives, mm-hmm. and we're with them all the way. But then, yeah, like you say, that third act, it just pivots, it shifts. It's now a war movie. Does that make it more or less traditional? Exactly. I kind of find it, I know, like in kind of speaking on Knives Out again, like, yeah. is Knives Out still less traditional, even though Knives Out follows the whodunit much better than The Lady Vanishes? I agree, yeah. Like, because they're the whodunit genre to me is... There's a problem. And then here we have somebody who is really good at fixing the problems yep. comes in and fixes it. With this, it's just like a bunch of people kind of figuring it out together. And then the problem in itself is not a problem anymore. There's like a whole political, yep. cultural issue that they're dealing with it's now. The ladies vanished, but now what about our country? Yeah, exactly. The ladies vanished, but the Germans are here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> In the end, The Lady Vanishes is a great whodunit that does a great job of representing, you know, the classic English-turned-big-Hollywood director as his kind of last hurrah in England. It brings in a lot of cool experimental shots within the set and within even the camera and the shadows. And while the first two acts uh, are just absolutely incredible and smash out of the park, the third act leaves a lot to be desired, bringing in sort of a strange cultural, kind of like a a jab on where maybe Hitchcock was thinking his current uh, country was at. So while it is entertaining, it kind of fits the whodunit genre in a way that is a bit confusing. But nonetheless, this film is just incredible and ahead of its time and is shocking that it was made in 1938. So I'm going to go ahead and give it between a 3.5 to a 4-star rating. All right, we've watched Knives Out. We've watched The Lady Vanishes. And she vanished, she and then did. she's back. She came back. Right, the knives were out, you yeah. know, all of them. Do you know what? we've? What do you if, think? If we've learned nothing else, the film titles did not lie. They did not lie. They were yeah. true. What do you think about all this? I, I loved these films. They were, it was a joy to watch together as a pairing. And it was interesting to see the different ways from two different time periods that the Who Did It Done It genre was was twisted with, was played with. Uh, one in a Knives Out in a in a, a meta modernist way, and Hitchcock. As I think you summed it up perfectly by saying it. It was really letting his political sensibilities come into play and just feeling the anxieties of the time. He almost couldn't help but make it into a, a political war thriller, right? Uh, in that final part, but unequivocally a whodunit because even throughout the film, the characters are like, "Oh, I'm." I'm Sherlock Holmes and you're Watson. Like they, they make that same comparison and that happens in knives out as well. Incredible. Yeah. Shows that Sherlock Holmes is the ultimate whodunit reference, right? Exactly. Why aren't there just, why isn't there another Sherlock Holmes movie that they've (laughs) already made with Robert Downey Jr. You know, I totally agree with you. Like there is just so much compared with, and I think I, if you asked Ryan Johnson, who a big inspiration was for him for this film, he would say Hitchcock. Absolutely. You got to think. There were Hitchcockian, characteristics and just unbelievable mannerisms that he brought over with shadows and with, you know, the Gothic feel of the house in knives out and the smoke and the dogs, you know, like these big German shepherds, very Hitchcock, very, you know, grand and Gothic and dark. There was, there was one shot in particular in knives out that made me think that's Hitchcock. And it was when it was after the will reading, 
and the nurse leaves the chaos of the family and it's just the the camera is is not fixed on a tracking shot and then it is when she goes outside and leaves the mansion oh my gosh it's a tracking shot and then as soon as they follow her the camera's lifted from the mount and we feel the anxiety and we're in it with her and the camera is moving around her. As all the family members are just hoarding around her crazy. That's Hitchcock, baby. That's, that's Hitchcock. It. That's Hitchcock right there. And you know, and that's the thing I love is that so many directors today just love movies. Like the what you can get from a director, like the best thing I think that they can give is that they copy this director because they love it and they show admiration. Mm-hmm. Like Quentin Tarantino absolute film buff like the dude like is crazy about movies and like barely went to film school you know what i mean to like make movies and all of his movies pay homage to other movies Uh so i can always appreciate that when a director you know wears it on their sleeve but in a way where they're not taking all the credit and i appreciate ryan johnson for that I am Bear Boswell. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. You can support us by subscribing to us on your chosen podcast player. We put this podcast out for free every two weeks. So if you want to give back, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars is great. And if you want to suggest a film, a topic, or just express your thoughts, get in touch via email at defilmpod at gmail.com. Next time, myself and a guest will be looking at 10 things I hate about you and how to lose a guy in 10 days by looking at 90s era rom-coms and uh, the number 10, I guess. So check those films out in the next two weeks and be a part of the discussion. We look forward to having you around. See you next time.